0: You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vohr and I'm one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today?
0: Hey, Robert. We're doing pretty okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah, probably good as anyone else right now trying to figure out all these moving pieces so yeah yeah yeah, absolutely what about y'all how are y'all doing
1: we're doing uh good you know kind of playing it day by day which is kind of fits right with the topic of this conversation Mm -hmm. today and I'll say uh, you know normally we record a separate intro but we're not going to do that today we're just going to jump right in uh, Mm -hmm. kind of you know speaking to the the current situation and, and all that. So we are so excited to also be joined today by our guest, Dr. Ina Hazan. Dr. Kazan, how are you doing today?
2: Um I'm doing I'm doing well. Also navigating through all the uncertainty and the moment to moment developments as you all are. Cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, just so folks get a sense of who you are, right? You are a faculty member at Harvard Medical School and a clinical psychologist specializing in health psychology and performance excellence training, particularly using biofeedback and mindfulness-based approaches. You've got a very impressive bio here working with uh, U.S. Navy Special Warfare, all sorts of things, ballet, opera, and you're the board of directors of a number of organizations. You're also the author of two books, the most recent of which is called Mindfulness in Everyday Life, Practical Solutions for Improving Your Health and Performance. And I'll say you were actually on my list of people that I was interested Mm. in having on the show anyway, based on your most recent book. And then I, I saw a Psychology Today article that you had written about navigating uncertainty in the midst of, you know, this coronavirus crisis that we find ourselves in and thought, mm-hmm. oh, let's, let's see if we can bring her on last minute to talk specifically about that. So I'm really glad that you made it on the show today.
2: Yeah. And we'll
1: uh, hopefully have you back on another time as well.
2: Well, thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm glad the timing worked out.
1: Yeah. Um, before we get specifically into the topic of the article, just for folks who don't know, because your areas of expertise include things like mindfulness, which I think most people are somewhat familiar with, but the term biofeedback. Can you, you know, give a, a couple sentence summary of what that means just for people listening?
2: Certainly. So biofeedback is a way for us to learn about people's physiological responses using instruments that actually measure uh, physiological parameters like um, heart rate and heart rate variability and breathing and muscle tension, and then uh, displaying those parameters to the person, you know, uh, in real time on the computer screen, enabling them to modify those physiological responses uh, to make those be more helpful uh, for whatever the challenge they're facing uh, in the moment. So basically, training your body's physiological responses uh, to provide you with the kind of activation that you need in the moment and then being able to recover fully um, after the challenge is over.
1: Mm, Yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, that's you know certainly helpful for people to know, right? This kind of like working with your body and knowing what to do with all of that. And this article that we're kind of unpacking today is called Five Steps to Living with Uncertainty During Coronavirus that I mentioned I saw on Psychology Today. And we'll obviously link that in the show notes now, obviously, this article is kind of targeted at the current crisis that we're in, but are these principles that someone could use in other situations where they're facing uncertainty?
2: Um, absolutely. Um, the This seems like a particularly good example of uh, um, how to work with uncertainty because there is so much out there, but we face uncertainty in our lives all the time. Um, so I hope that the steps I walk people through would be helpful for um, other uncertain situations, other anxiety-provoking situations, and ultimately other challenging situations where difficult feelings come up for all sorts of reasons
1: yeah definitely well those five steps in the title of this article are something that you call the flare method right and mm-hmm. um, can you tell us kind of what those those stand for and then we'll get into to kind of each one
2: Absolutely. Um, So the um, acronym of FLARE, F-L-A-R-E, is something that I've developed in order to help people incorporate a variety of different mindfulness and biofeedback-based techniques that um, I teach people throughout, you know, typically uh, several uh, sessions of working together. And what I found was that uh, people have, you know, a whole variety of different uh, techniques that they could use, but then in the moment of having difficulty, in the moment of challenge, uh, they kind of go, "Oh, I have all these skills. What do I do? What do I use?" I, you know, I don't, not really even sure where to turn. Uh, so having the step-by-step approach really helps people figure out exactly what to do in a difficult situation, where there is not a lot of guesswork. They don't have to think too much about what to do. Uh, they've practiced going through these steps uh, uh, in more neutral situations, and now these steps are available available to them fairly easily in a more difficult situation. Uh, so specifically, um, the F in FLAIR uh, stands for feel, and that is just the preverbal experience of the present moment, you know, what's happening right now uh, before we start uh, naming things or evaluating or interpreting or figuring out even what things mean, just uh, the physiological and the, or potentially the emotional experience itself. Then from F, we move into L, which is the labeling. Um, and that is giving a label or a name uh, to our experience. Now, this one is particularly important because it actually changes the pattern of activation in the brain that, ha- that takes place during that challenge. Normally, what we know from imaging studies is if somebody having a difficult time, uh, whether with uncertainty, another uh, kind of anxiety, or you know any other kind of difficult feeling, uh, there is a strong activation in the fear, the fight or flight center of the brain, which is called the amygdala. Uh, and at the same time, there is low activation in the frontal part of your brain, uh, which is responsible for helping you make decisions, solve problems, pay attention to relevant information. And that is not a helpful pattern because the fear center uh, takes over and prevents people from being able to make good decisions or figure out the best way to respond to a challenging situation. Now we also mm. know from imaging studies that when people give a label to their experience in those situations, uh, a non-judgmental, descriptive label such as uh, "this is uncertainty" or "this is unhelpful thinking," the pattern of activation reverses. The amygdala, the fight or flight, the fear center of the brain becomes less active and the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that's responsible for emotion regulation and choosing helpful action becomes more active. Uh, this pattern allows people to choose a helpful response to the challenge rather than going with the automatic, potentially unhelpful reaction that the amygdala would have dictated.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for someone who says, okay, I've never necessarily done this, like feeling what I'm feeling because a lot of us aren't super used to that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, attaching a label Mm -hmm. to it. Can you give an example of like what somebody might be feeling, what they should be paying attention to, and then kind of sticking a label on that? Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. Very good question. Initially, when we first start paying attention to our experience, it's easiest to pay attention to physiological sensations. Uh, It's a little bit harder to uh, get in touch with emotions, only because, especially if they're running high, it can be um, harder to connect with that, Um, and it may be harder to know exactly uh, what we are, uh, you know, what we're thinking without, you know, getting into the interpretation of our current experience so physiological sensations are the most concrete most easily available uh, information that we have in this moment uh, you know if you if you find yourself feeling discomfort just take a step back and notice you know what am i feeling in my body Maybe my heart rate is a little bit higher. Maybe my breathing is a little bit more shallow, a little bit uh, more ragged. Maybe I'm feeling a little sweaty. Maybe my stomach is uncomfortable. Maybe there's some butterflies in my stomach, you know, feeling a little bit restless. Uh, So sensations like that, um, they're concrete, uh, usually um, fairly easily accessible to people. That's the F. And then from there, uh, the labeling is... uh, how would you describe this experience to someone else so that they would understand what you are uh, what you are experiencing? Um, short, you know, there is no need to write a whole paragraph about how you're feeling uh, and your label doesn't need to be extremely precise. It just has to be uh, precise enough that um, someone else would have a fairly good idea of what you're experience, experiencing if you were to tell them. Uh, so, for example, if you say, well, I'm experiencing some Discomfort. I am noticing uncertainty. Uh, I am noticing tension. Um, other people would know exactly what that means. I encourage people to use labels that are gentle in tone, neutral, uh, not something that's harsh uh, or uh, self-critical. Right, so if you were to say, "Oh, you know, I'm having that ridiculous thinking again," you know, first of all, nobody else is going to know what that means, right? So it's not, you know, it's not descriptive. It's not very helpful. Uh, it's just likely to activate more uh, fear and, you know, further activate the fear center of the brain uh, when we assign those kinds of uh, judgmental or critical labels. So instead, going to something neutral or kind or both, um, and using the idea of being descriptive so that other people can understand us is usually a good guide for staying away from harsh and critical stuff.
0: Yeah, hmm. that's really yeah. helpful. I was just thinking as you were talking uh, the importance of both of these first two steps, and um, and certainly not wanting to you know minimize how hard this might even be for many folks, even to just recognize those physiological feelings um, mm-hmm. in order to hopefully move toward tying them to some emotions that could be tied to that. But just thinking about, you know, folks who may have um, been used to stuffing their emotions for a long time or pushing past them or, you know, white knuckling through them, like that need to just feel is, you know, that can be really hard for a lot of folks. So, but it's so important. I'm really glad that you're highlighting this, like even just for us to start here with, with that, being able to tune into those those feelings that we're noticing.
2: Yeah. Holly, you, you make a really good point that so many people are used to white knuckling and not, um, uh, allowing themselves to really feel what they feel because, uh, so often, uh, we are under the impression that having experiences like, you know, fear or anxiety is some, something that makes us weak or something that makes us, uh, mm.
0: um,
2: you know, not strong enough or not good enough, right. Or not in control enough. Right. So, um, it's really important to start changing our minds about having emotions. Right, you know, we're all human. Yeah. We all have emotions, um, and if you really think about it, if you take a step back, uh, what is more brave—to stuff down and not feel difficult emotions—versus uh, allow yourself to have difficult emotions? You know. Which one actually requires more mm, strength yeah. uh, and more courage? Right? And yeah. so if we look at it, if we look at it that way, you know, we experience uh, having our emotions as uh, uh, a step of courage, as opposed to a step of weakness. Uh, and then we're able to go through uh, the feeling and the labeling and you know the rest, uh, the rest of flair uh, in a helpful way because we're not going into it with the intention of stuff down or eliminate these emotions.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's really good.
1: Do you use anything? Because I know, uh, you know, when I see clients right on the little coffee table in between us, there's a laminated feelings wheel, right? That just has Mm -hmm. a bunch of different words that are, you know, emotions and they break out from the center. Do you you use anything like that? Just in case people say, okay, I don't even really know where to start in terms of labeling Mm -hmm. an emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Just having Mm -hmm. some like ideas, right? Do any of these words kind of get close and then we can sort it out from there? Uh, Mm -hmm. Anything that you found helpful like that?
2: Um, yes uh, so you can certainly use a wheel uh, like that um, I also in uh, one of the chapters of my book that describes uh, flare uh, it, it's the chapter on mindfulness based skills it actually has a, uh, a table uh, for uh, the different emotion words that people can use it's a little bit more concise um, and th- so the reason I prefer something that's a little more concise uh, is if, when people are having a difficult time, uh, they may feel overwhelmed with having too many choices. You know, if they need to decide between, um, you know, 10 or 15 different descriptors for their experience, they may feel like they can't really pick one, but if they have, you know, three, four or five, it's a little bit easier. So I guess depending on, you know, how big that emotional <laughs> wheel is, um, it yeah. may be just, it may be just the right thing. Uh, or uh, some people might prefer something that's a little bit more uh, concise with Fewer choices but uh, having a prompt like that having a prompt of any kind could be extremely helpful uh, because people are not used to uh, labeling their emotions and they're not used to thinking about uh, what's happening with them especially in these descriptive non-judgmental ways and we're much more apt to uh, be critical uh, and harsh in response to difficult emotions Mm. so uh, having a guide uh, like that is really helpful yeah no
0: that's really that's good yeah. Um, so then the next step that you have in here, so we have feel is the, st- is the first step and then label is the second one. Um, the third one you talk about, uh, or is focused on allowing yourself to experience mm-hmm. uncertainty. Do you mind unpacking this one for us?
2: Absolutely. Uh, so this has to do with, uh, what I mentioned a few minutes earlier, allowing ourselves to have our feelings as they are. A lot of people are under the impression that we should be able to control our feelings. right? And there is a lot of uh, uh, misinformation out there, even in the way that you know, we hear this uh, uh, in the media or in TV or just from each other. Oh, just control yourself. You know, don't feel that way. You know, don't think that. Um, there's this idea that we should be able to control what we think and feel. Uh, and in reality, we just don't have that kind of control. If I were to, you know, tell you right now, right this second, uh, and for the next, you know, 10 seconds, don't think about the white bear. Hmm. You know, how many white bears do we immediately Mm -hmm. have running around? Right, (laughs) right. right. Yeah. Our minds just don't work that way. Uh, The more we tell ourselves not to think something, the more those thoughts come. And the more we try to tell ourselves not to feel something, uh, the more that feeling uh, intensifies and the more prevalent and present it is. And then the more stuck we get in it. Um, and, you know, there are quite a few research studies showing exactly that and also showing that not only are we um, not good at um, help, at controlling our emotions and you know being able to just change the way we feel. It's not something we're capable of doing. But in addition, it also uses up our resources. Something as basic as our blood sugar, so that our that our glucose levels drop uh, when we engage in these unproductive efforts to control the uncontrollable, which is how we feel. So we quite literally drain ourselves of resources, and then there is not enough left for putting the effort towards things that could be otherwise under our control. Mm. Uh, Specifically, you know, how do we respond to those difficult thoughts and feelings? Or how would we respond to the difficult situation? How do we handle the challenge? If we used up all those resources on something that is not possible, trying to control how we think and feel, and then there is not enough resources left, then we're in trouble, right? So the allowing uh, part is really all about uh, saying, it is okay to feel this way. It is okay to have those thoughts. And that frees up all the resources to make them be available for yeah. choosing your response.
0: That's super helpful. Well, so we've talked up now about feel and label and allow. Um, the next one is on respond. Do you mind unpacking this one for us?
2: Absolutely. So the respond is the one where uh, you do have to uh, make uh, you kind know, of the most a number of decisions. Uh, uh, respond is... How are you going to, you know, respond to your difficult feelings? How are you going to respond to difficult thoughts? How are you going to respond to this difficult situation? You know, you, in the previous three steps, you've stepped away from the automatic unhelpful reaction, uh, and now uh, you are focusing on what is under your control. Uh, how do you respond? Uh, so you have, you know, a number of ways to go here. Um, sometimes the You know, you can start with just asking yourself a question of what's under my control, what can I do, and what's not under my control. If there is something that is under your control in this moment to do that's helpful and productive, then by all means do that. Um, You know, if you feel like, um, you know, you are, um, you know, you need to make a decision of some sort or, you know, maybe... um, in the situation that's not related to this particular virus, but you know, in more general uh, life uh, um, situations, um, you know, maybe you have an important meeting coming up tomorrow and you haven't prepared. Well, you know, helpful thing to do here is to go and actually prepare. But most of the time, the reason people find themselves in these difficult uh, situations is because there isn't really something that needs to be done. Uh, Usually everything that needs to be done has already been done and we've already done what's under our control. Uh, So at this point, our decision is: How do I respond internally? How do I uh, respond to these difficult thoughts, feelings, and situation in a way that is in my best interest? That will help me uh, move on and, and be able to, you know, live this moment and kind of you know, live my day, live my life in a way that uh, uh, works well for me. Uh, so uh, you might it, it might be something as simple as um, answering all those questions running around in your mind. You know, in periods of uncertainty. Um, we find ourselves uh, asking, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens? And how do I handle this? And uh, uh, you know, what about this? And you know, what are the chances that this thing is going to happen? Um, And we just don't have answers to any of those questions. You know, we can spend, we can spend a lot of time trying to figure out uh, the answers. We can spend a lot of time uh, trying to work through all the what if scenarios. uh, And unfortunately, we are not likely to actually come up with anything very useful that will uh, that will actually happen. Uh, and more importantly, it will use up a lot of our time and effort and energy um, and not leave that time, effort, and energy on, on being able to respond uh, in more flexible ways to uh, situations as they actually come up. So it's not in our best interest to answer all those questions or get through all those what ifs. Uh, so a helpful way to respond to those questions and the what ifs uh, is with I don't know, because mm. the reality is
1: mm.
2: we don't. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. When your yeah. mind is asking you all these questions, well, you know, what's you know what's going to happen? You know, if I go outside and I meet somebody who, um, you know, who I know and they want to shake my hand, what do I do? uh okay i mean you you already have a plan that maybe you're not going to shake people's hands so you know that much but then what exactly uh, is going to play out in that scenario you don't know yeah right Um, yeah you have a flexible plan that you've made that's under your control that you're not going to shake people's hands but that's about it right you don't know what's going to happen for the rest of it um when you respond to those thoughts with i don't know it It allows you to not try to ignore them, right? Because we just talked about trying to not think about something is not going to happen. You can't just tell yourself, oh, stop thinking this way, right? Just put those thoughts out of your mind. Uh, Even though we do say that a lot, nobody actually knows how to do that. (laughs) right um, right it's, yeah. it's, it's it's just not really in our power um, so saying i don't know allows us to stop trying to do what's not possible which is to ignore those thoughts and at the same time saying i don't know allows us to respond to them but on our terms without having to go through all the steps and all the potential answers and all the potential scenarios that eat up a lot of time and energy and so it's a nice middle ground where you respond but on your terms and it lets you move on right if the answer is i don't know Okay, well, there's really not a whole lot more to be done. Uh, And, you you know, initially you might be saying, I don't know, 10 times over. What about this? I don't know. What about that? I don't know. And what if this happens? I don't know.
0: Mm -hmm. So
2: initially uh, you just kind of have to train your mind uh, to uh, not get as stuck on all those answers. And the I don't know uh, will allow you to do
0: that. That's really good. I mean, it's really good just in learning to be a little bit more comfortable with the "I don't know" rather than just that statement in and of itself causing a snowball of more Mm -hmm. anxiety and fear, and Mm -hmm. and, you know. um, So that's really good. Just being able to (laughs) be reminded of that is helpful.
2: Exactly. It's it's okay to not know, right? And it's okay to just sit with the sensation of that. I don't know, and I am giving myself permission to not know, right. mm-hmm. and it, it's yeah. something that it will take some practice. Absolutely, yeah, for oh, sure.
1: And I, I even think talking about that taking practice is helpful itself, right? Because someone's listening to this and they get to this point and they say, "I don't know," and then they go, "Okay, but what if this happens?" Right, especially in a moment like this where nobody really knows how anything mm-hmm. plays out. Right, you know, mm-hmm. it's so easy to go, "Okay, but what about this?" Right, and somebody might be kind of sitting in a space where they say, I tried this and I wasn't good at it. And so then I'm right back into the kind of shaming, blaming, right? Like, oh, but these steps, you know, yeah. I should have been able to do this and say, no, no, it's look, you're going to try these steps and you're going to practice it. And over time you're going to get better. But this is a, you know, a, a set of skills of, of being okay with that, that you may have never done before. And so it takes practice. Okay. It takes kind of mm-hmm. building those muscles. Right. And so not then kind of right here, mm-hmm. looping back into that shame, I think is important.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, absolutely yes and you know the whole idea of uh, um, shame uh, is a really important one because uncertainty often brings up um, shame right and not knowing brings up shame and you know not knowing how to handle a situation brings up shame so that's it's a really really good point Um, a lot of it is about uh, paying attention uh, to uh, the present moment Practicing how to do that and then bringing kindness into that, right? The kindness and compassion are so important in these particular situations because it is so difficult, right? Because shame might come up because uh, uh, just the incredible discomfort of not knowing what's going to happen you know, the next day or the next week or the next month, uh, it, it's, it brings up a lot of distress for people. And because there is nothing that we can really do about that, certainly not in that moment, the only response to that is kindness and self-compassion. There's certainly a lot to be said about my uh, about self-compassion. Uh, it's a really big um, area and a big topic, so you know I'll, I'll just uh, briefly um, introduce. Uh, people to some of uh, to some of the skills that are related to kindness and compassion but really you know it's about um, allowing ourselves to have difficult experience while kind of holding ourselves bringing a little bit of comfort uh, to the difficult situation. It's not about uh, making our feelings better or changing the situation itself, uh, but just about making it a little bit easier to have that experience. You know, kind of like, you know, if you have the flu and somebody brings your chicken soup, right? The chicken soup is not likely to cure the flu, but it will certainly help you feel a little bit better just because somebody cares uh, and uh, somebody brings comfort. So now yeah. That's the kind of thing that we want to be able to do for ourselves, um, right? So there are different ways of bringing compassion. It could be just through the way we talk to, to ourselves, um, you know, having a more gentle tone, um, saying nicer words, right? Just paying attention to the, that stream uh, of words that go through our minds that often are so harsh and critical, being able to take a step back from that and uh, talk to ourselves the way we might to a dear friend who finds themselves in that same situation, You know, if we stop and think, you know, uh, if my friend is uh, worried, if my friend is having a really hard time with this, what am I going to say to them? And for most of us, what we say to our friend is going to be a whole lot nicer than what we say to ourselves. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So being able to bring that into the moment is helpful. Um, and, you know, even just having a, um, uh, a, sort of a mantra that's uh, uh, a compassionate one um, to bring into that moment and have something to roll around in your mind can be really helpful, right? So something like, um, this is a moment of uncertainty. Uncertainty is difficult to bear. Every human being knows what this feels like. May I be kind to myself. May I have peace. May I have contentment. May I be healthy something like that where, uh, we are allowing the present moment, uh, to be difficult. And then we're bringing, you know, we are connecting with the fact that most other people out there know exactly what this feels like. Um, yeah. so it uh, allows us not to feel so isolated and lonely, uh, and then being able to wish for ourselves some comfort and some contentment and some peace or whatever else that we might need in this moment. Um, yeah. Um, you know, what I' you know this uh, self-compassion break is based on the work of uh, Dr. Kristen Neff uh, who's uh, pioneered a lot of the uh, self-compassion uh, in the United States as well as uh, um, Dr. Christopher Germer um, who um, is a co-author of uh, Mindful Self-compassion uh, together with Kristin Neff. Um, so it's certainly worth looking into uh, their work uh, for, for yeah. more on this topic. This is just a very brief uh, glimpse.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's great. And that kind of leads really well into, right, the last one. So we have, so far we have feel, label, allow, and respond. And then the last one, obviously, with the word flare is E, right, to expand your awareness. And you unpack that a little bit. Can you tell us kind of the last step there?
2: Absolutely. Uh, The expanding awareness has to do with taking a step back uh, and allowing yourself to remove the sharp focus uh, on the problem and see the problem as being a part of our experience as opposed to all of our experience when we're having a hard time when our minds tend to focus just on that uh, and we don't pay a lot of attention to anything else uh, around it. Uh, We, we don't notice any other feelings, any other experiences, you know, any other sensations. uh, And it just feels like everything is one big problem. Um, And when we are, in that state, we're not able to really solve the problem. We're not really um, able to uh, pay attention to it in any helpful way. It is not a very helpful place to be. And it just feels bad, right? Um, so when we take a step back, when we notice what else is around us, you know, so pretty literally going, you know, here is the sky above my head and here's the floor under my feet and, and you know, here is the uh, plant uh, on my windowsill and, you know, maybe here's that person that I see across the street. Um And here's my breath and here's my heart rate. So expanding awareness where, uh, you know, this problem that you're having is still there. It hasn't changed. It hasn't gone away, but it becomes just a part of the experience. It's no longer all of the experience. You're, You're no longer stuck in this. Everything is one big, terrible problem, but rather... You know, there is this there is this difficult feeling that I'm having but then there are all these other feelings that I might that I might have and mm. there is a whole world around it and I'm not alone and I'm not stuck in this problem forever
0: mm. that's really good we we're just kind of noting that, that that kind of reminds us of like the grounding techniques and you know paying attention to you know, what we see and what we hear and what we taste and what we smell and what we touch and mm-hmm. just being grounded back in the present moment. So I love how you, yeah. um, how you include that within this to expand our awareness to the things that are around in that present moment um, mm-hmm. to, to ground us. That's so good. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, oh, go ahead. I was just going to
2: say, you can definitely do that. You know, what do I feel? What do I smell? What do I hear? What do Mm -hmm. I see? That's a really nice way to expand awareness. So uh, to make it even more concrete, you can absolutely do exactly that.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Well, you know, again, I know Robert had said, we would love to bring you back on to talk about your books. And we're so grateful for you to be coming on this week, especially in light of everything and for you to to touch on this article that you had written that we will include within our show notes for our listeners to be able to go back to, you know, I I'm just keenly aware of the, of the current events. And so one question that I did have for you, um, Mm -hmm. is what would, what would your primary recommendation be to our listeners in this moment of time as they're listening to this this week?
2: Certainly. Um, well, um, so focus on what is under your control. Um, you know, certainly following the uh, you know reasonable precautions and recommendations from the you know CDC as to how to take care of yourself and how to keep yourself and your loved ones and other people around you safe I think is a really um, important part of this Um, to be conscious you know of our own needs as well as the needs of others around us Um, and to keep in mind the attitude of kindness and compassion towards ourselves and again towards others because everybody is having a really hard time right now Um, so So responding to others the way that we would like uh, other people to respond uh, to us and taking care of um, other people in the way that uh, we would like to be taken care of um, in in, in these times of uh, just a lot of really bad things happening and a lot of uncertainty um, and a lot of fear, um, the best Antidote that we really have um, is our connection with other people and our ability to be uh, kind and compassionate while also taking care of ourselves.
1: That's mm, yeah. so good. Yeah. Well, uh, if you want to connect with Dr. Hazan, you can find her at inahazan.com or on Twitter at Dr. Ina Hazan. We'll have all those links in the show notes. You can buy either of her books on Amazon, particularly the more recent one, I think, is probably the one that she's more excited about you buying in the current moment. (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, definitely check those out.
2: Well, I was going to say that last book is probably the one that's the most relevant to everybody out there. The first book is more of a guide for practitioners and the second book is more of a guide for, you know, people who don't necessarily, you know, see other clients, but rather Mm. would like to be able to apply those skills for themselves. Yeah. Thanks.
1: Well, there'll be links to both of those in the show notes. You can connect with Holly and I and the show with the same ways you always do. We'll have all those links in the show notes. You know, thank you so much for joining us today, taking some time. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners?
2: um well thank you so much for having me um i appreciate everybody who is uh uh, listening and i would say practice these skills uh it will take a little bit of time to become familiar with them Uh, so practice is incredibly important maybe start with fairly neutral circumstances uh, and then uh, you know transfer those skills to the more difficult ones Um, and you know using these skills is under your control that goes into that category of what's under your control and then give yourself permission to disengage from the things that are not um under your control that just take up your time and
0: energy. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH at gmail.com.